It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you on this evening? I'm doing very well, Steve. How are you? Doing pretty good. This is the first episode we've recorded since Rush announced the 40th anniversary of Moving Pictures is coming out. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, so am I. I pre-ordered it already. So you bought the $250 Ultra Deluxe Edition? I did. I did buy it. (laughs) How could I not, right? How could you not? Well, I didn't. I'm cheap. Well, I'll share it with you. We'll we'll have a listening party. I'll unbox it for you. How about that? I want that little red Barchetta car. Could you share that with me? Sure. I'll give you the red Barchetta car. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so nice of you. Little little matchbox car. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rush Cast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jerry, here you have a couple of emails for us today. I do, and they're both about Russian Rio generally. Oh, nice. The first one is from Ricardo. He says, I was there in Sao Paulo in 2002. I actually live in Sao Paulo. And I was in the middle of the 60,000 people and it was raining. And I believe that this is the biggest Rush concert ever, but it wasn't the only concert. In 2010, on the Time Machine Tour, Rush came to Sao Paulo again. And I believe the show for that was 50,000 people, which we mentioned on our last podcast. Yeah, we made a mistake there. We thought they didn't go back, but of course they did. How could they not? Right. I'm one of the lucky ones that saw these shows. And I also saw them in the Starlight Theater in Kansas City, and then at Madison Square Garden in 2011. But what you guys said is true. It's very hard to see big bands in big stadiums down here, but we do get them. Iron Maiden, for instance, came to Brazil on every tour. And always worth it to remember, Sao Paulo has 20 million citizens and is the biggest and most cosmopolitan city in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, wow. That vibe in the Sao Paulo concert was indescribable. More than Rio, actually. But Rio is much more marketable, so it makes more sense for there to be a rush in Rio. And that was from Ricardo. Thanks, Ricardo. Appreciate you listening. And then we have a slightly different perspective from Luis. He grew up in Mexico. Hey, Luis. He says, growing up in Mexico, there was little chance to see the band live. So the first chance I had as an adult was during the Vapor Trails tour. I drove 12 hours straight from Mexico to San Antonio to see my first ever rush show. And I loved every minute of it. And after a few weeks of me buying the tickets to San Antonio, they announced that they were going to do one show in Mexico City and three shows in Brazil. Of course, I went to the Mexico City show and the attendance was 40,000 people. Mexico has a reputation of being great fans and the concert was amazing. Everyone was on their feet and singing, but Brazil was something else. Those guys are nuts about rock music. They have the Rock and Rio Festival, one of the largest rock festivals in the world and every major band has played there. Iron Maiden loves it there. I read or heard an interview with Getty about going to Brazil, and they never considered going to Latin America because the sales figures are not great down there, which added to their surprise when they went and played there. About singing to every song, that's a very Latin American thing to do. We do sing all the time. I sing all the time to every concert I go to, which annoys the people around me for sure. We sing even if it's in a foreign language we know nothing about. We'll sing the songs as we hear them. But again, kudos to Brazilians. They even sing the instrumentals. Anyway, great show. Keep them coming. I'm always happy to give you my view. And that was Luis. Thanks, Luis. Really appreciate you listening and appreciate you giving us your story. 
And again, Jerry, we talked about this before, how lucky we are to live where we live. Imagine if we lived in Mexico, how hard it would be to go to a show. I know. We just happen to live in the New York metropolitan area. To drive that far to go to San Antonio to see Rush, I mean, that is a fan. Yeah, that's dedication. And how many times did Rush play Mexico? I'm not going to pretend that I know, but I bet you it wasn't a lot. Mm, you want to just get, throw out a number? <laughs> no. I didn't look it up. Why would I do that? I'm going to guess just the one time, but I could be wrong. I'm going to say twice. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't have any idea. We'll see who's closest without going over. That would be you, probably. <laughs> Jared, today's guest is a singer-songwriter from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She's best known to Rush fans for her incredible ukulele cover of Closer to the Heart, which went viral in the Rush community and on YouTube. We also featured it on our podcast. That's right. We did. We sure did. She's currently touring the U.S. with her band The Mayhaps and as lead singer of Why Why Not. Patty Prashela, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Hey. Glad to be here. <laughs> really appreciate you joining us. We'd like to start out, Patty, by asking our guests their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, this was before uh, cannabis was legalized uh, recreationally in Michigan, <laughs> but not long before. I think it must have been about 2014 or so. So I think I saw clockwork angels tour i believe it was that one it was the only show i ever got to see of them and it was in 2015 i believe at van andel arena but i had been listening when i started smoking uh <laughs> it just kind of went hand in hand for the people i was hanging out with at that time who were terrible influences in everything but music might i add so i'm okay that i got that out of this i got this out of that situation so i'm happy with that of course so i think Permanent Waves was oddly the first album that I had heard all the way, which I don't think is typical, but I, I really liked it. And then I kind of I found Spirit of Radio, like the greatest hits. And then I uh, saw them live, fell in love, named my dog Getty Lee, which I meant as a compliment, but he's not a very good dog. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that holds true, but I love him anyway. He's very dear to my heart. And then I uh, started playing bass in about 2017 and uh and then i kind of came back around to rush when i started recording my solo ep which is called oracle bones because um i was recording it in a friend's studio and i just met this guy and once i confirmed he was not gonna kill me or hold me captive i was like oh great we got a lot in common actually this guy loves rush and so he kind of um his name is paul abel he became kind of my my bass mentor and uh we just we love talking about music and um, philosophy all the time. So it just makes a lot of sense. I think that Rush is, is the band that kind of brought us together. Yeah. So Paul plays bass in my original Rush tribute band, which is called Catch the Fish, which we are having our last final concert uh, before I move down to Nashville. We're having a concert up in Grand Rapids in May. And then I still got the Why Why Not guys to carry me through a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> When you started playing bass, were you influenced by Getty a lot or were there other influences? It's mostly him, but I don't know. And he, Getty might have said this in an interview or something before, too. I don't know. But I don't know that many people choose to play bass. I really think that the bass chooses you. Like, like I'm not as good at playing guitar as 
my guitarist. So I will be the wielder of this object that comes up to my chin standing up. It's great. But when I did start playing, I mean, I really did think of Getty and I started learning a little bit of his stuff, but it's not usually uh, what you start with, or at least not what I started with, <laughs> right. you know, like I played guitar for a long time, but then it just kind of like once I got it started with the 12 bar blues and stuff like that. And then every once in a while, I'll throw in some yes riffs when I'm warming up and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Usually when you start, you're doing uh, hot cross buns, right? You're not doing YYZ. Yeah. Or Seven Nation Army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seven Nation Army, hot cross buns. Same thing. <laughs> and what about the ukulele? That seems like a, to me at least, a difficult instrument to master. How did you get started on the ukulele? I would not call myself a master. <laughs> but I have always tinkered with instruments. So singing, I started when I was really young. When I was six. I know this was not your question. No, it's okay. <laughs> but I started singing when I was about six years old. And then uh, that was just like my dad was in jam bands and stuff like that. And it was just like at parties like, hey. Ride, Sally, ride. You know that. Let's go. And then I taught myself piano and then my parents gave me piano lessons. So I just kind of taught myself really everything except for piano, which I'm grateful for those lessons. Um, so then ukulele came in. Oh, gosh, I'm starting to realize how weird of a time of a career I've had right now. As I'm about to tell this story. So I taught myself to play guitar because I wanted to start writing songs and I didn't want to just be a singer and I wanted something to hide behind. So ukulele came into the picture when I started traveling. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard to get a guitar like on a plane because they're going to want to throw it under or you have to put it in a special spot with the steward. And uh, so ukulele is one of those things that I can just hold on to. And like, it's kind of my traveling buddy. But the original like purpose for that was that I was writing songs about Harry Potter and going to conventions and performing there. And so that was like big ukulele intro. And then a couple years back, I brought it to Christmas at my mom's house and I was playing war pigs on it because I thought it was <laughs> a really cute little Christmas tune, little ditty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one yeah. of those. Uh, I mean, my family's, you know, who are rockers, so it wasn't that weird. But my brother was like, you can't do that to Black Sabbath. <laughs> like, so then I made a career out of it. And now I do all of the heavy metal songs on ukulele. <laughs> I was just watching your version of Rainbow in the Dark. It's spectacular. Thank you. I have been wanting to record a video of that for a while. I love I love Dio, and I'm actually smaller than he is. But because <laughs> <laughs> that's Dio we're talking about. But I got some power, and I credit him to some of that. <laughs> now, what um, when you were choosing a Rush song to do, was Closer to Heart just the obvious choice for you because it's acoustic-y at the beginning? You would think that. No. Um, I made that video to promote the first Catch the Fish show in 2018 or 19, 19 maybe. And I sat in the field and I was like, all right, I'm going to do Spirit of Radio. It's going to be awesome. And then I started playing it and it just wasn't working because I feel like there's so much in that arrangement that you can't just do with one pair of hands. So and then I like in five minutes. I taught myself how to play that riff. It's not the exact riff because it's a completely different instrument than the guitar, but I got really close to it and I just made that video. And then after Neil passed away, I think the rush heads were just all over the internet. And then I just kept popping up and all of a sudden all these people started coming into my life. And I mean, I, they were 
you know, obviously welcome to follow along with what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But no, it was never the video I wanted to make. <laughs> Even when I put the camera on me, it was not the video I was going to make. <laughs> were you surprised by the reaction from the Rush community from the video? I knew they were out there <laughs> and I didn't think I was bad, but I don't think I'm ever prepared for the enthusiasm of the cult following because honestly everybody was very sweet and i was like emotional at the time too when neil passed away because that's that's when the video got so many views and stuff so it was it was kind of nice to like have each other in that you know and how did you hook up with the guys in why why not uh tim had messaged me in the summer of 2020 just saying like hey I like your stuff, uh, rush on, like, and that was it. And then I imagine he'd seen that video or some other video of me with Catch the Fish or something. And then he messaged me in this past December, and I didn't know who he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad that I do now, of course. So there is a band in my hometown of Grand Rapids called Why Not? Because I think it's the lead singer's named Tony. So it's Tony spelled backwards. And so I thought that's who was asking me to do stuff. And I was like, I like appreciate this, but I don't really have time. And then Tim was like, but it's like this rush thing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> I got some time. I can uh, squeeze that in. And um, I told the guys from my other tribute from Catch the Fish and they were like, what? Yes, you should do that. They're so excited. They're like, do you want to play with us again? <laughs> and Tim is a he's a monster of a bass player, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. He's to be reckoned with. Your vocal style, Patty, is so perfect for tackling Rush songs. Did you know all of the Rush songs prior to joining Why Why Not? Was there a lot yeah. of stuff that Why Why Not was doing that you hadn't done with your cover band? I think we kind of met in the middle. so. Catch the Fish has, we've only had a couple of shows. It's like a passion project thing. We love to sit around and talk about music and sci-fi and philosophy and stuff. So we did all of Moving Pictures and then a couple bigger hits and then like La Via, which I don't do anything on yet. <laughs> uh, so I knew all of those. But then when Why Why Not came in, I think they learned Limelight for me, which I was glad because that's probably one of my favorites. Um, but then like Caress of Steel had been a huge blind spot for me. So like Bastille Day, I was like, this is cool. Why didn't I know that? And then the newer stuff, the uh, not newer. OK, it's all older than I am. But Body Electric, like that was one that I learned for them. I was like, I didn't know I could like something with this 80s sound in it. But I did. So that was cool. So were you also singing Why Why Not's original songs with them, Patty? Or are you just performing the Rush songs with them? Some of both. I think the originals are, are really where the band, like where they're really passionate about being right now. I mean, I can't really speak for them because it's, you know, I was, I didn't write it. I wasn't the original singer, which I'm okay with and I'm comfortable like still expressing what I get out of it. But uh, yeah. So yes, short answer. <laughs> uh, I did in January and I learned a couple new ones for, this coming weekend, I'm actually leaving for New Jersey at four in the morning. I'm leaving my house. It's like tomorrow morning at four in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This evening, because I'm on musician time, oh, but yes, right. tomorrow morning. Because you're playing uh, City Winery, right? 
NYC on Sunday, but we're playing uh, the Sherman in uh, Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Sounds like a nice place. Never been there. <laughs> it's a cool little theater. We've been there. We're in Jersey too. So, oh, okay. So, what are your future plans with Why Why Not? Are you going to be their permanent lead singer, or is that still up in the air? I think we are talking about it this weekend. Oh, that's that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> We're all looking for answers here, man. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your uh, solo stuff and your work with the Mayhaps. First of all, the Mayhaps, I think, is one of the best names for a band. Thank you. We get mishapped and mayhemed a lot. Right. But uh, which both of those do happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I noticed that the band is a trio. Is that just an accident or is that a nod? It's not a <laughs> nod. I mean, I would like to think it were, but I, you know. We had a base. So the reason I became the bassist for the, we had a project that wasn't the Mayhaps, but I decided to change up the feel and uh, put my name on the thing. So we had like more of a hard rock style and now we're kind of going a little bluesy, slightly progressive rock seasoning on there. But we had a four piece band and then the ba- we couldn't lock down a bassist. So I became one. And then my guitar player, uh, who's also my partner, was just like, I don't want to sit down and talk and separate lead from rhythm because they're really the same thing for the way he thinks about guitar and then it is just honestly it's easier to have three people like it seems like it might be harder but like no i get to do more stuff with my bass and stomp around a lot right, i guess it helps with uh, decision making too because there's always a winner when there's an odd number of people that's true but when your name's <laughs> on it you kind of you're always the winner <laughs> I don't want to say that I make them do things that they don't want to do all the time. But at the end of the day, like if I really believe in something, I'm very strongly passionate about it. That they will hear me out because I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> if it's okay with you, Patty, we'd like to play some of your original music and talk about those songs too. Sure. So the first one we'd like to play is Oracle Bones. Crystal ball. Your palms can read the same as 
this song, just amazing, Patty. Your vocals on this are incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about this song and how it came about? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That's um, Old Reliable is what that song is. It's I think it's like 10 years old. So I wrote that when I was just starting to write like what we call muggle music. So non Harry oh, Potter goodness. music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swirled. <laughs> so I think I was 18 and I think I originally wrote it for banjo because I can't I cannot commit to one instrument. I have to have them all. And that's fine with me. <laughs> um, but I, I obviously cut that out for the recording. So, oh, my God, there's so many anecdotes about that song, though, because it's so old. I never get tired of playing it. I'll say that. And I think it was originally inspired by an episode of Avatar, The oh, Last nice. Airbender. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Okay. I am. I, I watched it with my older daughter when the pandemic first hit. It's fantastic. Yeah. So there's like an episode. I won't go into too much detail, but Sokka was all upset because everybody was listening to a fortune teller. And I was like, yeah, fortune telling is kind of a bunch of BS, isn't it? This is somebody who's a very strong Virgo candidate. So I'm, I'm a little bit of everything. I'm agnostic in that way. But yeah, so I was just thinking a lot about fortune telling and all of the, the ways that we think we can like cheat fate. And that's basically, I don't want to say there's a message to the song, but that's just what I'm thinking about. And um, I think there's like a Pink Floyd like small nod in that song. I said like rabbit, you better run. Um, I don't know if anybody ever caught that, but I feel like saying it now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I recorded that one that was in the basement with Paul, where we geeked out about rush more than we probably actually hit record and put tracks down. So yeah. Um, Nuri Tet, a dear friend of mine on the upright bass on that song. And I think, I don't know. There's probably like a shaker from Brandino approach, but everything else like mandolin and guitar and vocals, that's all me. Do you find that it's, uh, you get a different kind of writing style when you're writing on different instruments? You said it was originally done on banjo. Definitely. Definitely. They just all have their own spirit. Like, I don't know. You said earlier that you thought ukulele would be hard to master. It seems really easy to me, but that like, there's not a ton of options. You know what I mean? And so when you have, like parameters, like the song can only be any of these variables, like you're going to get something different. Whereas when I'm with a piano, I'm like, mm-hmm. ha, 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 like turn into a, a whole range of the instrument. Um, and just, I don't know, they all do bring something different out of me. So I like to have a little bit of everything around. So how did it evolve from just being you, Patty Prashela, to adding the mayhaps to the name? Well, I met my now partner, uh, when we were working at the airport Starbucks and he's a super quiet person and I kind of bugged him into being my friend and he didn't think I was so annoying. So then he added me on Facebook. I found out he played guitar super well and I was like, excuse me, sir, how come I didn't know you could shred? How dare you? And then, um, I dragged him to an open mic and he heard me play and he was like, I think he likes to think that it was his idea because he saw him. I don't know. We know what, I don't care whose idea it was. I'm just glad we got here. Um, and so we were dear friends and collaborators for a long time in a band called talk radio, which a lot of, I think half of the songs off of cheap diction are originally talk radio songs, but the drummer, uh, we switched drummers and there's just such a different like feel like it's more, uh, jazzy and less like hard rock metal. And I think, that's ultimately what I needed. So I'm very grateful for Alec Kleinfelter stepping up and 
joining this crazy ride. We started in like this, this iteration of that band started in like late 2019. So we kind of had a hurry up and wait thing. I mean, it was inconvenient for everybody. I got out of it mostly. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it, that part was really weird. It's like, let's go. Wait a second. <laughs> uh, and we we are we started recording in February 2020. So we got like a couple songs in. Uh, we did everything to analog tape. And that was really fun to like try to get everything tight without a metronome and just like cueing each other with our eyeballs. And, and when you're in that position, you're not thinking so much. You're really just feeling it out and letting it just channel through you and stuff. Anyway, yeah. So Alec, <laughs> to go back to your question, Alec, my drummer, I found uh, him. I don't know if I found him or if he found me, whatever. We uh, were the rhythm section for a band called Winnow, which was like an Americana thing. And so I would play bass and he'd play drums. And he's like a smaller dude to me. I, I don't know. He's going to hate me if I say like how, how tall he is. And I'm like way off. I think he's like under definitely under six feet. Right. And I'm like five, three. And we were playing with these like six foot four dudes. So we called ourselves the tiniest rhythm section. And <laughs> I wanted to keep him as soon as I met him because I love him a lot. And he's very weird and very reliable. <laughs> so that's, that's that. <laughs> the next track we'd like to play is Slow Mo. Yay! <laughs> This song, and this is a compliment, has a real Zeppelin kind of feel to it, I think. It's amazing. Um, This is the one that we just talked about. We played a show this weekend, and we're, they were like, I don't know if we could play that one live anymore. People don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, but I love it a lot, and I really get lost in the sauce with that song. Um, It modulates a lot. It's not, you know, there's no hook. There's no hook on half of the songs on this on that record and I'm okay with that. But um I definitely when I heard the guitar part, so how we write Lucas will send me a demo without lyrics and it'll usually be like a verse and a chorus. And then we'll just kind of bug each other until a bridge or whatever comes along. So he sent me the guitars like basically not dissimilar to how they are on the record. And I was like, yeah yeah, we're doing some Robert Plant on this. <laughs> like, There's no way around that. Um, so I'm very glad that, that you think so as well, because it, it just uh, that was the attitude that 
that struck me when I heard that song and the emotion just felt like it came from, I don't even know how you say like a primal place. It's just very like raw and you cannot hide behind anything because you're just out there, you know? And you said that people didn't get it. What, what didn't, did you have a bad response from crowds when you played it? I can't imagine that truthfully. Well, no, they didn't throw (laughs) things. No, I don't know what places you're playing. I don't know. Chain link fence in front of it. I'm not sure. It's just, um, like a song of like borders, for example, is so upfront, rah rah, yeah, and the song is done, and you're like, yeah, song is done. Slow mo, it just kind of it is a thinker. It's a, it's more. I feel like it's one of those songs that might do better on a record than in front of an audience, which breaks my heart. But I still gonna make them play it because um, we don't have that many songs so <laughs> uh, yet. I love that song. It's a little proggy too. I think sometimes people want more of the palatable stuff, but uh, I don't know. That's part of why I think I named it may the band mayhaps. Cause it's like, you know, like nothing's off the table. Like maybe we can do that. It can be whatever it wants to be. Well, you mentioned borders. Why don't we play that one next? Okay. more of a straight ahead rocker right stark contrast to slow-mo for sure so slow-mo was i think was the last song that that we wrote for the album and that was one that was written in the pandemic so that is very mayhaps tm borders was originally a talk radio song and it like it's probably three years older and i think you can tell i can tell i was there but i had a lot of rage i still have a lot of rage, but that's why I take it out on my instruments. It's okay. But yeah, uh, the bass is everything for me on that song. It's a lot of, it works very hard, but I wish I'd written it. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's basically uh, the message for that song was uh, just, and I know we're all feeling this so much now more than ever. Like sometimes I think after you put songs out there, you know how they take a life of their own and it's no longer what your original goal was. Like this was definitely a case of that because it's definitely about like the divide of like the camps that we put ourselves in, like, you know, and how isolating it can be to like only spend time with people who agree with you or, you know, like, and just about greed and not listening and not understanding. And just, you know, how the basic premise of the song, like the lyrics is that if you keep 
dividing yourself from people based on one reason or another, eventually you're going to be alone because there's nobody that's going to be on the same page with you and everything. It's just not going to happen. And the last one we wanted to play, Patty, is called Do It For Me. (laughs) The new one. You know I scratched your back until my last nail cracked. But honey, I got an itch that I can't reach. Oh, and it's right in the center. So I'll rub up against whatever Just to get some temporary relief Cause you don't do it for me Baby, I'm not sorry Said I'm the best you've had I never meant to laugh But I won't say it wasn't funny So call me what you want But as long as I'm all I got Such great energy behind this one. Love how it builds. Thank you. I love that song. I really do. It's an outlier. I'm because the music industry is really weird, and you can't really put out a song just for the hell of it. But I was like, but it's Mayhaps, so why don't we just do it? Because I right. want to. And they said yes. <laughs> um, ah, man, I didn't know what to do with that song when I was writing it. Cause I was like, this is the meanest thing I've ever written. Like personally to, to a subject and it didn't paint me in the best light, but at the time, like, I think part of being a writer is that you have to honor all of your feelings, whether you think you should have them or not, you have them. And when I write a song, I try to just like leave that in the space that it was in. And understand that there's definitely somebody who needs to hear that song who's going through some shit right now. I hope I can say shit because I just did it twice. Of course. So, yeah, I that was when I wrote basically by myself, um, aside from the guitar solo, which Lucas modified because he can do more things with with that major third interval on the B string than I can. I hate that thing. But, yeah, it's definitely two songs stapled together, isn't it? (laughs) Which is, I think that's why I like it, though, because it comes out of nowhere and we don't have any other voices in the band. So I always like hear the background right. vocals in my head and see the stuff right. from the video um, when I'm playing it live with the voices. <laughs> Maybe somebody will shout it back to me eventually. I yeah, when I was listening to that song, I, I definitely got I don't know. I 
it was kind of like ACDC vibes to it, just in the early kind of Bon Scott. You know, he just tell, like you said, you know, he has these feelings <laughs> and he, he just tells you what is, is he's feeling at that moment, regardless of whether or not it's, you know, something that uh, he feels like he should be saying. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't try to always channel somebody when I'm writing songs, but sometimes if you don't know where to go, you got to like think like, okay, who, who's, you know, traveled this path before? What did they do? So for me, it was like, what would Joe right. Jett do? What would punk rock band A or B do here? And, you know, it's like, well, you just let it be what it is, you know? <laughs> so I'm really proud of that song. It's a weird one. <laughs> I like it because it's just a straight up ahead rocker, which is right in my wheelhouse some days. So Patty, we don't know what your future is with Why Why Not, but what's the future for the Mayhaps? Right now, our baby boy, Alec, is uh, working in Montana, and we won't be seeing him until the spring. But as soon as we get him back to Michigan, uh, we are going to go on tour through Michigan. I'm pointing <laughs> at my hand because that's what we- Forget the Upper Peninsula. She's not part of this conversation. It's fine. So we're going through Michigan, out to Canada, down the East Coast, and then we're going to kind of land in Nashville, find a place to live in Nashville because we're moving down there in June, come back up to Michigan, pack all of our stuff, play a few festivals, and then go figure out what to do with Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't wait till you get to the East Coast. We have to check you guys out. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. We got a few things on the books already. I just am bad at remembering dates and haven't officially announced them yet. So they'll be up soon. And what about your music? Where's the best place for Rush fans to buy the Mayhaps albums? Probably on bandcamp.com, or you can always go to pattypershela.com, patty with a Y, Pershela, just like it sounds. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Patty, on the Rush Fancast. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. So, Jar, full disclosure, we're recording this on February 17th and why, why not is playing Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania on the 19th. Yes. So by the time this episode drops, she will have had that conversation with the guys in why, why not? And we'll know the future. That's right. I didn't think about that. You're very perceptive, Steve. I hope they continue working together. I think she's great with them. I think so too. I think she has a fantastic voice. She can keep the mayhaps going and keep why, why not going? Why not do both? Yeah, why not? I wanted to throw out some of Patty's tour dates that are on her website and have been announced. On March 5th, as she mentioned, she's going to be in Michigan, Trinity House in the Round in Livonia, Michigan, April 23rd, which is a Saturday in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at Pyramid Scheme. Yeah, that's a great place. May 27th, which is a Friday, buses by the beach, West Olive Estates Mobile Home Park in Michigan, and August 4th, which is a Thursday in Caledonia, Michigan, at the Cow Pie Music Festival. Wow, that sounds like a fun time. <laughs> it does sound like a fun time, but but Patty's music is so great. I mean, I've been listening to her albums for the past week, and I can't get enough. Yeah, I, like, I really like them, too. They're fantastic. She's a great bass player, great singer, great songwriter, too. Yeah, and anyone who names their dog Getty Lee is okay in my book. <laughs> that's right <laughs> you can find us on twitter we are at rush fancast instagram you can find us at the Rushcast. email jerry let him know what you thought of our conversation with patty Pershala 
at therushcast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Give us a like or two. We like that. Bass intro and outro. That is Lex. And Jared, I hope you have a great quote to wrap up this episode nicely. I do. You know, recently it was the, I think it was the 47th anniversary of Fly By Night. Is that true? It could be true. I think it might be true. Maybe I have the number wrong. But anyway, it was the release date anniversary. How about that? Of Fly By Night. Okay. So let's do a little something from Fly By Night. Let's do it. Fly By Night away from here changed my life again. Fly By Night, goodbye, my dear. My ship isn't coming, and I just can't pretend. Thanks, Jar. Have a good one. All right, see ya.